Yeah, I, I'm Jackson. I have zero experience with carpentry. I studied at a school for historic preservation in Boston and learned about how things were built, you know, 250 years ago. There's a long way to go. I'm nowhere near the top. Not that I thought I was, but there's so much more to do out there. Welcome back to another episode of the Passion for Craft podcast. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Thomas Jefferson, the sixth president of the United States of America. No. Third. Third. Third? Wow. I didn't know that. All right. Well, Brent, we're going to pass it over to you because Richard okay. and I are excited to learn about TJ. <laughs> um, so, yeah. One, one thing I do know from last episode yes. is he did UVA. He did. Which is probably my favorite architectural marvel in the united states what about uh, you richard you and a lot of other people yeah i would agree so we did that one on washington so this is the bookend for that uh talk that we did uh and and it was because i discovered that washington was really involved in in the design and the building of his house uh a gentleman architect i think we could we could argue and you know um was the second president who I discovered was an architect. About, I don't know, five or 10 years ago, I, I, there was a couple books by a guy named Hugh Howard. Do you have him here? <laughs> no. Frantically I before I, I the can't. episode, Brent was <laughs> searching for these books. He's talking to his phone. Thomas Jefferson <laughs> Architecture Book. <laughs> Uh, well, behind the scenes. Yeah, thanks, Jackson. Behind um, the scenes and under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> True. So um, he, uh, yes, Hugh Howard wrote two books. Uh, one, Thomas Jefferson Architect, and then another one called Dr. Kimball and Mr. Jefferson. And so basically what happened is, is you know, Jefferson has an incredible uh, architectural heritage okay um not only monticello but uva campus and you know virginia architecture i was just there done a consulting job and the guy's like you know jefferson influenced everything and um he did and and, and the architecture of that area is, is jeffersonian right because of the things that he was doing so he was incredibly influential and you know an incredible man the the writings and all the other things he did what was what was interesting about Hugh Howard's book is, is that it wasn't always known that Jefferson was the architect of Monticello and these other places. And so it came as a surprise um, in about the 1930s as a architectural historian, a guy named Fisk Kimball. Uh, at first it was like, no, no way. And he's like, yeah, he was. And it took quite a bit of convincing, uh, showing papers, showing things he wrote, showing letters and correspondences. And Fisk Kimball, uh, who, who wrote a number of books on historical things, he was the curator of the Philadelphia Museum in, in Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, and he was a very influential historian and architectural critic and everything else. And he basically proved everybody that Jefferson was the architect. So Jeffersonian wasn't an a name for an architectural style pre Fisk Kimball. That's correct. Wow. So, I guess I'm a little bit confused. How can someone have built? I guess not built, but designed a whole bunch of things that were going to be built, and then no one just no one knows. You know what I mean? Um, like, how did that get lost to time? Is that? 
Well, Isn't I mean, kind of crazy. Yeah, I think we 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 sit here in 2023, or you know, uh, you know, hundred hundred two hundred years later, and we're like, you know, everybody knows that. And the fact is, is that you know, Mount Vernon, Washington's home, you know, nearly got bulldozed, right? Near, nearly was, uh, you know, really, yeah. And the Mount Vernon Ladies Society is, it basically came along came along and said, we've got to save this thing, right? It was in it was you know, same with Monticello. Uh, there was a guy who came along and bought Monticello from Jefferson out of bankruptcy. And, um, you know, he'd been bankrupt a couple of times. He was, he was a terrible <laughs> financial <laughs> manager. And so, um, he is, uh, um, and, and either is, either is in a family. I don't know if it was from, from Jefferson that they bought it from, but basically, uh, it was in bankruptcy and this guy came along and bought it and, uh, and then you know basically maintained it until it got turned over to the to the uh, state of Virginia and, and you know I think the National Park Service has it now. Wow! Um, but those things don't happen, right? And so come come early 1900s, uh, I can't remember when the Mount Vernon Ladies Society started, 1936 or something like that, maybe earlier than that. And so a, a part of part of that was America turning 200 years old. Um, or 150 years old in 1926. And so a lot of interest in our history and everything else going back to that. So um, wouldn't there be like some kind of documentation though? Cause I'm with you. Right. I'm like, how does that just go on? Well, that's what happened though. That's what, that's this Kimball discovered it is because through documentation, okay. through reading his letters, through reading his stuff. Um, so if you think that, you know, Jefferson's home, you know, fall, goes back to the family, kind of goes into disrepair. This guy, buys it and basically you know rescues it um you know he dies in 1826 or 1830 something like that is that jefferson or jefferson Kimball? okay um you know and so it's you know it's in the family i'm making these things up till the 1850s 1860s civil war happens everybody forgets about mm. it you know there's yeah. depression and everything in 1890 and so it's not till the early 1900s that you begin to start thinking about these things they restored uva campus with uh uh, McKean, Mead, and White, the architects out of New York. And so all of a sudden, it's like, who did design this? Because this is really pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. And so it takes an architectural story to go back and start looking at things going, well, who did? Yeah. And so they look at letters and, and, and letters of Jefferson, you know, and, and drawings that Jefferson made of, of the campus and what it was supposed to be. Um, and so that's what those two books are about, is just, you know, one, how Fisk Kimball kind of proved it, and then two, you know, the legacy of Jefferson. Did he just dust off some books in the attic or something? That's what I'm envisioning. Yeah. Like he's just like, what's this box? What? Yeah, I uh, can't remember. It's been 10 years since I read the book. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, um, But I was fascinated by it. And it is something like that. Yeah. It, was, it was, maybe it was when they were redoing the library at uh, UVA yeah. um, in the early 1900s that they, um, that they, you know, found letters and found correspondences from him to the workmen and everything else. Now, what's interesting is, is that Jefferson writes a letter in the 1880s, no, 1780s. He, he has this whole collection of letters, um, uh, letters to Virginia or letters of Virginia or something. And uh, in the letters in 1780, he writes and says, Virginia is without any craftsman, without anybody who understands architectural design, without anybody who understands how to build properly. It is a uh, notes in the state of Virginia 
Austin, you rock, dude. <laughs> so he he writes these notes, and then the letter went in that thing in 1780, he he basically says building sucks, you know, craftsmen suck, you know, there no one, no one's building good, no one understands good design, and, you know, it needs to change. That sounds like passion for craft. <laughs> well, the first one. I've used it as an example <laughs> before in talks, basically saying, look, we've been here before. We've been at times in our American history where we really didn't understand design, where we forgot design and forgot beauty and everything else. We need to get back to that. And then have a revival. And have a revival. And so, are, are you trying to get yourself compared to Thomas Jefferson? Is that why is. we're talking about him right yeah. now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, no. <laughs> Notes on the United States. Um, <laughs> yeah, that will not go. I will not <laughs> recognize that with a comment. Um, the uh, and so realize that then by 1820 okay after he's done uva done monticello he has established this legacy and this jeffersonian architecture and so in about a 40-year period okay that's really you know our clock is ticking right so if you figure bad design or we started you know crying about how bad craft was in you know 2010 mm -hmm. you know we've got 30 more years to uh start turning the ship around and right. uh, you, you know i'm encouraged that there are guys out there like thank you we didn't know this there's mm -hmm. there's good things going on so anyway side note there to just say that we we've been in this place before and you know there is good things that are going to happen now how did it happen so jefferson uh you know remember he was the third president he was also the ambassador to France. He was also, you know, all these other things. Okay, so all of these things pulling him away from home. Okay, and then when he's after he's president, I think, and he's trying to go to Monticello, he's he keeps getting interrupted. Okay, people trying come to go home. People coming to see him. People coming to you know bugging him and everything else. And so he builds this thing called Poplar Forest. Okay. And Poplar Forest is kind of his, you know ranch house it was, it was it was weekend retreat and poplar like the wood uh-huh okay and so poplar forest is this is this uh house it's a retreat i i they've restored it now but i don't think there's even plumbing or anything else in it um it was a very rustic rural retreat uh you can see it's hinting at monticello uh but it's a classical building and um they are uh it's kind of like a mini Monticello, right? Mm -hmm. And so it, that I love was the octagonal that, shapes. That, that was his uh, retreat. That was his place that he, that he went to be by himself and write and do other things like that. But um, you know, obviously, okay, if we look at this architecture, uh, you know, what it, what is it inspired by? The White House. What is it inspired by? Monticello. <laughs> what is it inspired by? <laughs> well, I, well he's, sorry, he's, are you he's, talking about? Like what inspired is, what did, by Palladio, right? Like Greek. Yeah, yeah thank you, what Richard. You yeah, what Richard the, the Apprentice strikes out. Really um, <laughs> boffed that one. <laughs> um, yeah. Try again he, next time. He basically, it's thought that when he was in France, okay, as an ambassador, he, it's known that he went on a mini uh, grand tour, okay? And there was... In France or in... In France. Okay. When he was ambassador in France, he took a little tour I don't know if he got down to Italy, but he certainly went to see some of the ruins and the uh, memory. I'm getting all these from memory. This is great. This is a great memory you've got. If you make it up, too, that'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, and so he, he basically was inspired by looking at some of the Roman ruins uh, that were in you know France and Italy and other places like that um, and uh, became a classicist and understood the importance of Palladio. He, he was the one, we said in another one, that Palladio was my Bible, okay? So anytime anybody would write to him. And so I believe he also did... Um, uh, James Madison's house. And so, uh, which is also in Virginia. And, you know, these people would ask him, you know, you know, what should I do? What should I do? It's just like, you know, Plotty is our Bible. We're going to, we're going to do these things. And so, um, he basically looked at these classical, there's Madison's house. And so, and it's very Jeffersonian, that temple front that comes out, and uh, if we look at the Jefferson State, I mean the Virginia State House, it too is a is a temple front that kind of classical design. temple front look, it, I, I've just never realized it. You know, having it called a temple front, I see that on so many houses, but I've never you know put two and two together. But it really does have it's a that Greek cool temple. Look. Yeah, yeah. So you know the, the Greek temple is incredibly influential. I mean, most churches, you know, early New England churches are the Greek temple, and then uh, James Gibb put a steeple on top of the uh, St. Martin's in the Field in in London. What he, is this building? Sorry, that's right. the Jefferson. That's the Virginia State House. Okay, and so Jefferson did that too. Um, but the uh, you begin to see you know his influences and his designs. But there's St. Martin's in the Field which is a Greek temple, right? You see the Greek temple below. And then what James Gibb did in the 1730s or 20s is he put a steeple on it. He classicized it, right, with his steeple. So, And that becomes the model for the for the churches everywhere, okay? Mm -hmm. And so yeah. um, the New England church is a model after this, this St. Martin's in the field. And so... That, that, but the temple front and this classicism is incredibly influential in the 17 and 1800s. And so Jefferson obviously was inspired by that. And so I say all those things because, look, he's involved in, you know, UVA. He's involved in Monticello, Poplar Forest, James Madison's house, right? And his hands all, in a lot of pots. Okay. So what happens at Monticello? Here's a, here's a little quiz. How long? I Game think on. You, I think you, <laughs> you guys know the answer to this because I think I said it. Um, how long did it take him to build Monticello, to finish Monticello? He didn't finish it. Ooh, is it a trick question? No. Oh. I thought maybe he had it. 40 <laughs> years? He was running through the history earlier. I should have paid attention to what he was saying. Price is right and say 39 years. 39. <laughs> you should have gone above. 40. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. It took like 47 years. And so oh, yeah. one of the things that would happen is he'd have <laughs> what you said. Yes. <laughs> one of the Come things, on down. <laughs> one of the things that would happen, he would uh, leave and his workmen were afraid to, you know, do uh, anything. Do anything because they knew when he came back, he'd just make him change it. And so literally he got into things like nailing patterns, as I remember from the book. Did he really? Yes, like it was even saying you, you need to have this many nails per board and, and different stuff. So he was the ultimate meddling, you know, <laughs> homeowner, yeah. yeah, who was just a nightmare, so much so that the workmen were like, dude, I'm not doing anything when you're gone because <laughs> you you're be just going to make me change it. Yeah, and like so, you need to be here to micromanage us. <laughs> yeah, you can't micromanage me from afar. We don't have FaceTime. So oh, what you have is a <laughs> is a three part 
you know, uh, uh, construction there. You have the two two outbuildings on the right, okay, and the main building in the in the in the center, right? And so you have an A, B, and C parts. A okay. in the middle, okay. B the two outside wings, and then C the the little the, the wings that catch that the connectors. That, uh, connectors, okay. And this is a you know Palladian uh, layout, okay. This and, and it's it's a B C A C C B, right? Man, so those sloped a, things. There's that a, just makes me happy. Those are really cool. And so this was um, uh, in Vicentia, right? Now this model okay is the palladian model okay the t typical model now if we go back to monticello um you know that picture right what do you think those two little outbuildings are right that's b. And so you have this center a right you have the two b's and then the c is this deck now you are to see chimneys coming through that deck yeah and so essentially what what jefferson did was he sunk that whole working area down into the ground and so his piano noble is that major that first floor can you explain to me what that is his piano noble so if you go back to the barbaro picture okay um have you ever heard the word piano noble i think i've heard you mumble it before but the piano noble is like the the important floor the noble floor so he sunk his important floor to the ground to the ground okay because what essentially the way this is laid out yeah is that this is a working farm i think i explained out one of my other things you guys weren't listening the the <laughs> this was you this was right. a, this was a working house right and so you had you know like on the left side it's, it's actually a dove coat right and so they were they were making fertilizer they were you know cows and and it looks very elegant like like this was working yeah, farm yeah, that's crazy right? mm -hmm. and this is this is and this is the invention that Pladio kind of came up with is of this uh, uh, noble farmhouse, this wonderful farmhouse where you could entertain and have, you know, these wonderful things, but on the, uh, on the wings, working levels, right? It was also a farm. Okay. So it's so, like a business too. Like totally. House. It was a business. It was a business house. Right. And so the, the whole turn piano noble is that is that once you walk upstairs to that to that first level, you're all of a sudden in a very elegant house, right? So, so sorry, when you're saying first floor, are, do you mean the top floor, like the second floor? The second floor in that picture okay. was called the piano noble. Was the and it's was, piano noble? Yes. Do you want to Google it? Do you I know. I'm I'm just like wow. I've always known piano as like a instrument. Well, it is a different language, Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> and so, funny, funny. Hold on, what? <laughs> Amazingly, there's a different word for everything. Okay. So what he did was, is so you'd look at that and you, and you don't immediately recognize recognize the Palladian influence, mm -hmm. right? But then when you realize how he sunk it down, you're like, oh, it's, so it's almost exactly like the that. The working floor is now underground. Yes. Yes. And then the Plano. And so if you go visit noble. there, right? Um, that's where all the, the, the working farm parts of this thing are, uh, is underneath where, there. Where is, uh, is it Virginia? This is in Virginia. So, I mean, I also imagine like, I know in Colorado they use the ground to somewhat insulate as well. I wonder if that was like also a heating efficiency thing too, to just Could sink be. it in the ground. Yeah, that Could would be. Well, and may, maybe it just was a happy little accident where it was like, hey, we sunk it down for looks and then it actually happened. You know, four man uh, function. Yeah, I I actually it, don't know that. It looks really good with that 
first level being well, this so angled is low. great because because you can see that lower level with the brick columns totally. and the light underneath there um it's just so pretty yeah it's kind of like uh it reminds me of like even in like historical houses around here you have a servant's area like tucked away right you know mm, yeah. that's yeah. kind of the same idea man there's so <clears> many <throat> uh geometric shapes that are that are in play here um that are just so satisfying together and <clears throat> man i never would have thought like um even even just the idea of doing like he's got these hexagonal oh things. look at that interesting it does say piano nobly <clears throat> Means noble floor, noble level. Also, sometimes referred to the course <laughs> referred to by the corresponding French term, bel étage. I remember that. That's, yeah. <laughs> I'm with Richard. That's what I thought it was. Oh, I've always called that the bel étage. Oh, sorry. Yeah, the bel étage. It's, it's bel étage. That's that's where I was getting. Confused. Oh, you mean the bel étage? Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, I don't speak Roman. <laughs> I think it's Italian Jackson. <laughs> no, it's really. Um, okay. Moving on. Yeah, moving yeah. on. Okay, um, so Thomas Jefferson, the, the Bellatage. Okay, here's, the, here, <laughs> here's the other thing, okay, is you have um, Jefferson. He also does UVA. And UVA, as we talked about in the previous episode, is this is this classical, um, uh, it's it's called the Academiel Village, okay, which is basically Academiel. Uh, Academiel. Here you go again, <laughs> dude. Will you stop? He's just oh trying God. to get close. There's a joke that time. Um, right. <laughs> and so what you have is is here's the plan, right? And the organization and beauty of it, okay, is this plan, okay? One, you have the main library there at the top, where mm -hmm. which is the deal. Oh, look yep. at that! There's a historic drawing. Wow. And what you have is is this lawn, you know, opening up between all of them. You have the big houses on either side are teaching houses, are the teachers' houses. That's where the teachers no live and taught. Okay, the little <laughs> crazy. Um, how the little <laughs> runway in between has these little tiny rooms that are probably. 10 by 15 that are where the students live and it's an honor your senior year to actually live in on the lawn and they don't have any bathrooms in these rooms you have to walk down you know outside back to a, a, a outhouse a, a outhouse thing to go do the bathroom and everything else but it's this big honor to you know live in those there. in those in those things and students wow. still do the the other thing that's that's above is you'll notice there's gardens in the back right there's these organized oh, gardens wow. in the back and so um you know, this is, you know, early 1800s when he does this. And, it, you know, today is it was voted, you know, the, the most significant uh, architectural. architectural wonder in America is is UVA campus with the lawn and everything else here. So um, it, it's beautifully styled. It's beautifully organized. It's beautifully, you know, it's beautiful. And, and I've probably been there three or four times just because it's so fun to just go, you know, gaping your mouth open, just kind of watching, <laughs> looking at it all. It, it there's a rhythm and there's a beauty yeah. and there's a organization and and it's it's just it's awesome. Man, I almost like the lawn better without the trees. Oh, and the historical picture. Oh my gosh, yeah. that that historical photo is just. Do you mean this etching? Because that's not a photo. Man, it looks like it. <laughs> that guy's good at drawing. Um, <laughs> that's the iPhone one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean. Look at that. You you can just you can see the rhythms laid out so much more clearly here. 
And man, not to say that the trees add bad stuff to it. It just looks yeah, so good. But, uh, oh. Yeah, and, and there's a uh, anyway. It, it's an awesome place, and so it's beauty and function. It's crazy. Totally, it is, and you know, it, it becomes a model for you know how we should build today, and you know, you know how we should uh, design and and think Absolutely. about about things. Something that might be kind of fun to see. Uh, you know, I, I'm just thinking about where I went to college, and SMU does have a, a similar layout. Now, it's not the exact well, same. Well, if you but... look at Dallas Hall at SMU campus, uh-huh. you tell me what that building is supposed to be. I mean, it's it's that. It's it the is. library. It's I mean, that it's, library. It's the same layout. Um, that's, that's and then it's Dallas got the whole Hall lawn. At SMU, right. Yep. In fact, that's crazy. SMU was laid out to be like UVA. And, you know, you see the gardens and you see you yep, know, the, the, the geometric yeah, designs. Yeah. And then it actually continues all the way down to the boulevard. It goes all the way down the boulevard. You're exactly right. Um, it doesn't have quite the same uh, layout design as, uh, as what's his face, as UVA. But, wow, it, it, I'm just, I'm realizing right now that the inspirations for that, it's really cool. Yeah, there there are other campuses. That's a great photo of it. That's a great picture. The long boulevard is yeah. you know where I walk to class every day. And so the uh, you know that organization layout clearly inspired from UVA yeah. and, and what he did there. Um, well, and then so this is just something interesting that I I, I just keep thinking about with this is like I, I wonder what the cost breakdown was of. Um, like how much UVA cost to set up like that for Thomas Jefferson to to lay out something like that, and as we were talking about in another episode, the um, like what would it take to to plan something that beautiful and plan something like that uh, in today's day and age? And we have a lot of those like city guys going crazy with the line and um, Tolosa or whatever. Uh, but what man, what would it take to really get something like that going? Uh, It'd be awesome. It'd be awesome to have another Thomas Jefferson running the same uh, play like that. They're under the radar a little bit. I mean, there are great classical architects that are still doing beautiful, awesome stuff that, uh, you know. Do you want to shout them out? you put them on the radar? I mean, uh, A.M. Stern, okay, Robert Stern Architects is, is, a, is a classical architect that does universities, that does things like that. Uh, friend down in San Antonio, Michael Ember, did a, did a thing, thing on Arkansas campus. Um, you got Peter Penoyer. You got, you know, cool. uh, Gil Schaefer. You've got, you know, uh, you've got some, some great architects who are venturing into the classical world or venturing into the academic and institutional world because okay campuses are beginning to be ugly right and there's ugly buildings on them and there's there's you know we go to you go to oxford and cambridge to look at those buildings and see what you don't go you know to these tcc yeah yeah (laughs) right it's just it's just you know the architecture sometimes is what is the uh, powerful event there. Yeah, I don't know if you remember this, but when I was looking at colleges, when I was looking at A&M, I was going to be an engineering student, um, <clears throat> and their engineering program is cement blocks. That's their houses, or not houses, but like their buildings. So every engineering building at A&M was just like a giant cement <laughs> rectangle. Not real inspiring. Is it? <laughs> oh my gosh. It, it was very mathematical, that's for sure, but... Um, it was pretty frustrating. Like I, I remember walking out of there just being like, I don't know if I could like come here every day and <laughs> and be happy. How uninspiring. Yeah, you know, it just felt it's like Alcatraz. Yeah. 
Um, and that must be their new buildings, but uh, the old ones were literally just cylinders. Well, I mean, it, it, as we're getting into, you know, kind of institutional architecture and stuff, pull up uh, Boston City Hall. Um, and, and this building has a little bit of it. There's a, there's a type of architecture called brutal architecture. <laughs> um, and Sounds which is fun. Oh, wow. And that is brutal architecture. Okay. And I've and, seen some of that and, around and, here. And, and, and brutal architecture yeah. is, is basically these, you know, basically the tragedy here is, and you can see Faneuil Hall, um, Oh, in the gosh, distance the to the right, over to the right over oh, there yeah. in the right corner. That's Faneuil Hall, right? That's a classical, you know, building. And, and and Boston City Hall, they tore down the most historic part of Boston to build that. Yeah, Boston <laughs> just had it up. And when I was in North Bend Street, I would that was government center. You I took the train into government center and walked from government center through Faneuil Hall over to North Bennett Street. And it was just it, it's all brick and concrete. And it's just it's so uninviting. It's so uninspiring. And they've tried, they've talked about tearing this building down for years. They should. Um, but but brutal architecture. Like look like compare this to UVA campus, right? And and so yeah. you know <laughs> if we you know consider we're kind of you know diving into classicism versus modernism, but there is, there is a rationality and there is a human quality to this that is lost with you know brutalism and. Uh, some of this modern architecture. Wow! On that Boston City um, Hall, mm -hmm. it's really strange. If you if you're like standing in there and looking out the window, your view is completely obstructed by those, those like walls. Yeah, the the wall. What thing. the heck is that? That's it's like blinders on a horse. <laughs> outside a window. Yeah. Get to work. Don't I'm, look out the window. Crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's apparently a pretty depressing thing, and apparently leaks quite a bit too. Um, <laughs> the uh, yeah, you know, a lot of famous modern buildings leak because they have flat roofs. And the flat roof concept is crazy. Like, when you think about, sorry, I know we're off the train of Thomas Jefferson, but when you think about a, an A-framed roof or when you think about, like, all the curved roofs, like a pinnacle roof, like, there's historical context behind it. Like, it helps not leak. Well, I think one reason why <laughs> modern architects like the flat roof because it isn't traditional, right? Right. It it, it you know it sets it's, them apart easily. It's right. a it's rebellious a teenager. Well, I'm going to be different. You know, it's like <laughs> okay, but you're going to look like a goth kid but when you're, you're done with it, or, or you're going to your roof's going to leak. Yeah. Um, the uh, I mean, there, there's there's all these traditions behind behind steep pitched roofs which were built and designed to handle snow load and the reason that you know english roofs are steeply pitched is because they had to deal with snow and you go down to tuscany or down in uh you know the mediterranean all the roofs are much flatter or much you know less of a pitch they don't have the snow loads right they don't have the same uh requirements yeah. and then when you get into this modern era uh, they begin to have flat roofs, um, and that's partially as a con as a consequence of like concrete just being able to handle snow and other stuff like that, or change in building materials, but also change in attitude about what a building should look like. You know how it should work. So uh, I know you, you say Jefferson, most of his well, what we've been talking about is all Virginia. Did he build anywhere else? No, that's and, and um, the influence that he has is a little bit, you know. You know, not only was he an architect, not only was he an influential one, but how far did, did his influence go, right? Was it outside of Virginia? Or, you know, how many other houses do we not know about that he actually designed and, and, and helped with? And so that's, as I remember, that's, that's, he doesn't go outside of Virginia. But it, there's no doubt that that classicism and, and the, 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 the architecture that he is, 
you know, inspiring and building the, 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 the state house in Virginia and things like that is, uh, very influential to other states and to other things that are going on at the time. And the, 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 the workmen that trained underneath Jefferson, okay, because by 1820, you know, now he's got five or six master builders who have worked with him on various projects and now understand how to build in how this many way. nails to use? Yeah, and, <laughs> and so <laughs> he he was started. he was training a whole generation <laughs> of of builders and architects underneath him that then continued to have a wave of influence, you know, after him. So it isn't just the ones he had his fingerprint on; it's the ones that his builders, you know, influenced later going forward. That's one thing I noticed that really came to mind in the uh, the orders episode is like you can copy stuff and no one. No one gets offended. Like if I copy one of your projects, you're gonna be like, "Cool, that's awesome." It'd be awesome. But there's not. It's one of the few industries where copying is like a form of flattery. Yeah. On the note of copying things, like, uh, I I think that is one of the drivers for for a lot of people trying to be different, mm-hmm. um, especially in this industry. Because especially like as an artist, I think you want to set yourself apart. You want to be yeah. distinguished and and known and uh, one of the names to be remembered. Um, and it is kind of ironic cause there are a lot of architects that have like done something different and been remembered by it, which is cool. Um, but then that we're looking at Thomas Jefferson today and I mean, looking at some of these things that are just breathtaking images of really well done architectural design and he's just copied. Oh uh, yeah. He's copied he's the done. Greeks. And, and I would say he's, his are arguably more memorable, more impressive, more like they speak to your soul there. I don't know. I'm just looking at it. I'm like, I'm comforted by that. And I'm less comforted by some of these modern architectural works. There's, like, there's a whole thing. You know, you're, you're exactly right. What you're saying. And, and there's, you know, a lot of the new urbanists, a lot of the classicists, okay. Lament the things that are being taught in modern architectural schools right now, because the goal is to be different. Okay. Mm-hmm. The goal is to, um, do something original and mm-hmm. being original has become this, you know, mantra for being great. And yeah. so the, the, you know, the reason, uh, Frank Gehry is, is chasing after all these sculptural and things is because, you know, that's the new cutting edge. That's the new frontier. Mm-hmm. And they would say, why do we want to go back? Why would we, why would we want to just copy the past to your point, Richard, it, it, th- we're not copying the past. Um, you know, we're, working within this this these frameworks to create something beautiful right mm-hmm. so you know they feel like they have to do this kind of thing in order to be original yeah and <laughs> and and you know th- there's stories of people f- getting sick in these buildings because the, the you know you're walking through there and the walls are moving and everything else and yeah. so, you know <laughs> start well the yeah. proportions don't speak to your mind in the same way that classical architecture does and it i mean i even remember walking up the leaning tower of pisa getting sick because it, you're going like <laughs> this and then you're like this and then you're like this and you're like well the um you know and this and it, maybe this is where we we end up is just talking about what architecture should be right yeah. you know what 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 should uh we be building and producing now as builders and craftsmen not architects right we're never going to build these things right yeah. and 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 so it's almost like sometimes you go into a modern art museum and you're like, you know, there's a toilet there, a signed toilet, and you're like, you know, wait a minute, something, something's being pulled over my eyes here, and and so there are there are 
Um, I mean, that's know, that's one that I'm like, I'm like that's kind of they're, cool. They're but. paying for originality because yeah. the same thing that's happening in the modern art world is also happening with architecture. And so you end up with these, you know, spilled paint on a, on a canvas. And we paid $50,000 for this. And you're like, wait a minute, what? You know, and you're just like, or there's a fluorescent light hanging on the wall. They're like, yes, $20,000 we paid for this. And you're like, they're, they're paying for originality. They're paying for this art. And, and it's, oh, it man, is, that gets and me fired up. it's just like, it's, it's hard. Okay. Yeah. For, Everyone for at me weekend. to be sit there and go, yeah, this, the, the, yeah, that totally adds value. That's great. You we know? walked through the Fort Worth Museum of Modern Art. Me and my wife went on a little date and like they were, the, the staff was just getting mad at us. Cause we were just like pointing and laughing at everything. <laughs> just like, what is this? And they're like kind of looking at us sideways. Well, there's some beautiful things in there. Like the wings in the book and things like that, that's in there is, is, is awesome. But there's other things yeah. that aren't so much, right? Like yeah. a shirt stapled to the wall yeah. with mustard on it. It's like, it's crazy. I'm just like. But take it back to architecture, right? When we see some of these things and we're, we're like, um, why can't we do that? And, and, and there is a, you know, a philosophy right now in the art and, and architecture world that this, that that's what's beautiful. And, 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 well, that's an historic building that they've attached this, this addition onto. And so, and, and, and look, that one's not, you know, it looks like ribbons coming off the building. I mean, it, it's, it's, I say, it, that one's less offensive to me than the Boston building. Yeah. Brutalism is, is, is really, it's, it, it's, it's in a it's word, hard. brutal. Did you name it that? No, that's, oh. the, that's the name. <laughs> I think, I think the word is, is, uh, is based on, and we can do another word search if you want to make fun of me on this. No, it's okay. But the uh, there's brutal architecture. It's raw concrete. I think is what is what the term is. Yikes. Well, um, if we want to jump back on the Jefferson train, or even um, architects like Jefferson, I I do have a uh, a couple questions on it, and I know we'll get into this as we're looking into commercial architecture versus residential architecture in a future episode. So look forward to that. But um, I I was curious about. Uh, what, what Richard was saying, I, I mean, Thomas Jefferson only built in Virginia. Right? Were there contemporaries of his who were kind of doing the same thing? Obviously, he he takes a um, uh, an award home for being the most particular uh, guy in his area. But were there other guys who were doing the same thing, um, you know, hearkening back to that Palladian architecture? Well, what I was going to say is, is the other influence that Jefferson had was on Washington, D.C. Hmm. And he was the one who basically uh, uh, encouraged the, 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 the competitions, okay, for the White House and the state capitol. Hmm. And so he was the one that said, we've got to have a competition for these things. And, and the reason why is that we really didn't have great architects in America at that time, okay? Yeah. And, you know, I, we did, a, I think we did one on Charles Bullfinch, um, or we talked about him, or I've talked about him yeah, in Buildings and Brews. Um, and Charles Bullfinch was an architect, uh, very talented, did the Boston State House. He was, he was actually, couldn't get a job as an architect in, you know, the eight, early 1800s. And he becomes the architect of record for the Capitol. There's his, there's his state building in Boston. And so, you know, he's obviously an incredibly talented guy. Um, he goes to Washington and kind of revives his career down there as the architect of the Capitol. And so he oversee where was he? He over Boston. He oh, oversaw Boston. the uh, building of the of the uh, 
of the White House, of the Capitol, and, you know, uh, was, was making sure it got built right. Now, the, the fascinating thing, now we look at this building right here, right? The state Capitol is just mm -hmm. a massive thing. If you pull up Bullfinch's Capitol in, you know, 1820, you know, it was a timber-framed building, right? And so, you know, wow. th this is a steel structure that happens after the Civil War. Uh, there's pictures of, of Abraham Lincoln giving his, his, his inaugural address and, you know, the state capitol not being finished. And so wow. the, the, you know, we look at it today and go, well, I guess it's always looked like that. No, it didn't look like that in the 18, in the early 1800s, the, the state capitol. Remember that in 1815, what were there, you know, 14 colonies uh, or 14 states? And America exploded after that time. You know, Texas becomes a state in 1845, California in 1850, right? So it's really, you know, after 1830 that, that America begins to expand and you have these oh much, these much uh, grander buildings. And the dome, you know, I think in Bullfinch's age was, was timber frame and is much smaller. So anyway, we, again, this is another example of us forgetting, you know, the way things used to be. There it is. Um, and that is crazy just because even there, there's a small version of the ABC thing that we were talking yeah. about earlier. Yeah. And then if we look at today's version of the Capitol, it actually, they do ABC, ABC, <laughs> you know, because there's the, the, the additions that are on the left and right side that, but man, it, it's it's There's exciting. There's a lot of balance still there and everything. No, yeah, I know, but it, you know, it, the original ABC was those two right. little rot rotundas. Yeah, no, you're right. The, the extended added ABCs. Wings on. Um, and so, you know, the, here here is where Jefferson uh, was really encouraging uh, beauty in the state capitol. Here was Jefferson really, you know, encouraging quality in, in the in the buildings that were going to represent America. Now, the state capitol kept growing and growing and growing, and so it changed a number of times. But uh, the, the White House was certainly one that he uh, influenced. And I'm pretty sure Jefferson put in a uh, – one of his designs was for the White House. It didn't end up getting – James Hoban, I believe, was the architect of the White House. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, um, the point being that you asked who else. There was an original question, who else uh, was influential? Yeah. And, and the country just didn't have much influence um, uh, architecturally. Okay, we were very naive and young. And I, in my talks, I really say the profession of architecture doesn't really happen until... 1820, 1830, hmm. when guys like Benjamin, Benjamin Latrobe comes to uh, America, he's a he's a uh, an English architect who comes. He's actually the first, and and Jefferson hires uh, uh, Latrobe yeah. to be the architect of the Capitol, and so and then Bullfinch follows Latrobe, and yeah. so. Uh, and then after Latrobe, you have Robert Mills. I mean, after Bullfinch, you have Robert Mills, James Strickland. Those guys train under Latrobe. And so really you're talking about in the early 1820s, America is just getting its feet, you know, kind of planted of architectural integrity. So Jefferson's at the very early edge start of that. So yeah. he encouraged competitions. He encouraged, you know, building better. He encouraged these things. But um, he really um, – that that's kind of where his influence says, and it's significant. It's it's powerful. It is. Yeah, because the school you said SMU, yeah, was like a copy of the UVA, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. and then UVA is like him copying Palladio, mm -hmm. and Palladio's copying 
what Greeks? The pantheon, pantheon. pantheon so, that's, so, and then Rome. now we're yeah. now we're all looking back at all of those, right? And it's major influence still. So yeah, Jefferson did have a design for the White House. This is it. You know, what does that look like? You know, the Villa Rotunda, uh, which is a Palladian building. Um, you know, I'm sure there was a whole philosophy on why it was supposed to look like that and supposed to be like that. And so, um, yeah, the cardinal cool. directions I think is a big influence. It's got the four. You know, that one entrance there. Oh, yeah, there it is. The Villa Rotunda. I see what you're saying. Um, well, yeah, that's really cool. Um, well, I think that'll wrap up our conversation about Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. You got any big takeaways from uh, this one? For me, it is the just everything builds on itself. Yeah. Like I just mentioned, the we're all kind of copying, yeah. you know, the past. So I like that. I like that he did it, and there's the freedom to do that. Totally. And he made some beautiful buildings. Yeah, I think the biggest takeaway that I had is, I, I mean, he has really done one of the more beautiful things I think I've ever seen. The, I mean, the UVA campus is just breathtaking, and it's just taking from other people. I mean, mm -hmm. it's literally just steal it and use it yeah. and uh, reuse it. And, you know, with, with the change in materials and other things, like looking at uh, the original, like, Palladian designs, um, of the Pantheon, is that what it was? Um, lo looking at the Pantheon, it was, it was much larger bricks. And then when you look at Thomas stone. Jefferson's, but yeah, the stone bricks. But then when you look at Thomas Jefferson's like use of the smaller bricks and wood, and um, it, it provides a different feel um, to it, but still gives the same uh, impressions off. It's really interesting. I think what uh, always blows me away is I mean, if he'd just written the Declaration of Independence, mm -hmm. that'd have been enough. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, if he if he had just you know let forgot the, we're talking let, about one of those guys. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. He's a founding father, right? Yeah. He's you know as if he didn't do enough, <laughs> and then to find out that he was also this very influential architect, to very influential designer, very influential you know leader, and and you know. Um, you know, it, it, you start it kind of blows your mind. You're just like, who was this freaking dude? Right. It's not fair. Yeah. Right. That he would be able to do so much and just influence so much. And so, um, I mean, he, I'm jealous because he had a huge library and in fact, you know, Nerd. Uh, he sold one of his libraries and it, that's the library that started the library of Congress. I mean, Wow. Will you stop doing incredible things, right? <laughs> just like, come on, just making us all look silly. But um, no, he's, you know, it, that's what blows me away is just all the freaking things that he did. And and yet on top of that, he was this designer. He's, he's like David in the Bible. Not only was yeah. he a great warrior, a poet, uh, a you know, king, yeah, king, just, yeah, just king everything, right? It's just, he did everything. It so, does make you kind of um, jealous. Yeah. Like, so what? Uh, that's wacky. Yeah. So well, that's cool. good stuff. Well, thanks guys for watching this episode of Passion for Craft podcast. Uh, join our Patreon, join the Discord. We would love to have you over there. Um, get some fun extra inside info uh, from Brent's library and then uh, get to see some of those things done practically with Richard. So uh, we'd love to have you over there. Thanks for watching. <laughs>